Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Adam Ludgate. Adam is a programmer turned CTO who's involved in the startup tech community and is enticed by new and innovative ways of solving problems with technology. He has worked previously with the likes of IBM Canada, AOL UK, tech startups in London's Silicon Roundabout, as well as with a variety of oil and gas software firms in various development and leadership capacities. Without further ado, let's join Adam as he interviews Randy Thompson. Take it away, Adam. Hi, I'm Adam Ludgate. On today's episode of Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, I'm joined by Randy Thompson. Randy is the chairman and CEO of Valhalla Private Capital, a managing partner at Old Kent Road Financial. He's a partner at Peterborough United FC out of the UK and a former A100 member. Randy, thanks for joining me today. Uh, thanks for having me. I've been accused of never meeting a microphone I didn't like, so okay. this is a great opportunity. Then this will be good. Um, <laughs> so first off, let's talk about your background. Let's hear a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, yeah, I'll try to do the short version. I started actually as a uh, community development geek, and I think that has a lot to do with how we see Valhalla and what we're trying to accomplish. Um, I ended up in politics for three years, working as a chief of staff for the economic development minister in technology. And I was lucky enough to be part of the group that uh, took uh, uh, AGT at the time, so that tells you how old I am, uh, into TELUS and we IPO'd it. And from there, uh, my best, when we left, when I left politics, I was still in my mid 20s, and my best friend said we should start a company. And so we started the first uh, internet service provider here, Alberta Supernet. And it was an absolute uh, shit show. There's lots of other podcasts where I talk about that. But we were lucky enough to, because it was the internet and it was late 90s, we sold it. But if I'm being honest, a lot of the things that we learned, we had no right actually selling that company. It was just so poor. So there was a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I've told people in base camps that they've gone to. It's, it's actually caused, I would literally call it PTSD. It was so hard. It was so awful in so many ways that I just, I, I moved to back into that community development piece and thought at the time, the fault has to be investors in Alberta. If they just knew how cool we were going to be, how big the internet was going to be, they would invest in us and it's all their fault. And I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about that. So when I started um, um, an angel group at the time, it was um, part of the Kritsu Forum family, Kritsu Forum Calgary, and it became Venture Alberta in both Edmonton and Calgary and then Lethbridge and, and some other places. We, we were really committed to the fact that investors just didn't know about tech in Alberta. And then leading an angel group and uh, doing some investments, I actually learned uh, something super important is that it was actually my fault as an entrepreneur at how bad my business sucked is the reason it was uninvestable. And I've been going around with that message uh, ever since that, quite frankly, if you can't raise money for your, your business, it's probably because your business sucks. And that doesn't mean we hate 
entrepreneurship. I mean, I love it. I embrace it. It's who I started as. I'm not a corporate finance guy. That PTSD has driven me to actually really have a compassionate heart for startups and how tough it is to raise capital. And we, we have a base camp program beside Valhalla to support entrepreneurs learning how not to suck. And so one of the stats I'm super proud of, of being involved in angel investing almost 20 years now, is that between 25 and 35% of the companies that are coming through our angel group are receiving funding. And so, you know, we've been really focused on that for the last 15 years um, in the angel space. And we've and been focused on raising capital education and, and getting startups ready for financing. Okay, cool. That's a good intro. And so that brings us to, let's just kind of talk about Valhalla, which I think is your mm-hmm. kind of big piece at the moment, making an impact in Calgary and the tech scene. So now um, for those people who have been listening to the podcast regularly, Luke Kruger, who is uh, the, the chapter president for Vancouver, Calgary, um, co-founded Valhalla. Yeah, he's one of our partners, absolutely. Yeah, so he was on episode 22 and he goes into quite a bit of detail about how Valhalla manages the investments, um, you know, kind of angel investing 101, mm-hmm. um, what the deals look like. And so I recommend people go and listen to that if you want to get into the weeds of Valhalla as, a, as an angel investor or as, a, as an entrepreneur. I want to talk about it on a little higher level. So maybe we can talk about kind of its inception or more importantly, what is your current role, you know, as CEO in terms of Valhalla? What what does that mean? Well, it's been awkward. And my partners will tell you this. It's um, I've loved being hands on. And um, a lot of that whole Valhalla concept was I was involved in all of it. So when I was just an angel president, and I say that tongue in cheek, the whole point of that that person in the middle of formal angel, like, People have to understand is there's there's multiple ways to approach angel investing. Sometimes a lot of angels don't like to hunt in packs. They they're individuals. They're super angels. They're known by reputation, so everybody calls them anyway, and they're getting their own deal flow. So they don't join a formal group. If you join formal angel groups, it's a very different process, structure, methodology than a family office or or a lone wolf angel, and so. As a angel, a formal angel group leader, you're responsible for deal flow. You're responsible for getting enough investors to look at deal flow. You're running a dragon's den for all intents and purposes. You're responsible for the quality of the deal flow, but you're also responsible for the quality of the members. And I, you know, I have to say, at times in in the Valhalla VA Angels history, we had great, great, great members, and sometimes you have really poor members. And 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 both the quality of your deal flow, if the deal flow sucks, but the investors are great, well, the investors stop coming if the deal flow is terrible. But if the deal flow is great and the angels suck, well, the entrepreneurs stop coming. So trying to keep the rising tide is really hard. And that, that was what I was doing. But we were all learning together in the early days as formal angels. And so we would invest in these deals and then we'd be the deal lead in a in an institutional round. And then we'd help with selling the company. And then we'd go back and try to get better deal flow by teaching entrepreneurs. So this whole big ecosystem, I was right in the middle of kind of rising tide, all boats, all that kind of saying. So you would be bringing in the deal flow, educating the deal flow, putting the deal flow in front of the investors, having the investors put together a holding company, special purpose vehicle, 
taking it to a Series A. So one of our best deals, Innovative Trauma Care. We worked with uh, San Antonio uh, VCs. I'm still chairman of the board of that company, but we did all those things along the way, acting almost as a corporate finance shop. So as we matured, it became harder for me to do all those pieces. And there were people in our group already, the, the, the Lukes, the Christina Milkies, the Rod Browns, the Danny Ways, all that. Um, those are a shout out to some of my partners, Jen Letterman. They all came in and said, hey, we'd like to take a piece of this. And so Valhalla is kind of the heaven for Vikings, but it's also the big tent is the thought process. So we brought all of these partners under the big tent and we were able to turn Think about this, the pivot, the aha moment is we used to be just a formal angel group schmuck, which just allowed us to be an event coordinator, bringing everybody together for, you know, cookies and scotch and look at deal flow. Well, now we're being held accountable for the the term sheets and the and the and the uh, special purpose vehicles and teaching our angels to get better returns, helping our entrepreneurs get better, you know, at raising capital. And then because we have now an a mergers and acquisitions piece to Valhalla, that means we can actually manage your exit too. So our tagline is cradle to exit. And that we're called angel corporate finance now. So it's kind of a growing up process, if that makes sense. Okay. So you kind of transitioned into yeah. more specialized yeah. topic because there's just too much to deal with at the moment now. And, and you're taking on more responsibility as an investor. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is whether I like it or not, I'm, I'm older. I mean, when I started running an angel group, I um, I remember at Mount Royal, uh, they had a thing you said, you're not allowed to put your name, so put five things about you. And I said, I used to be cool. You know, like, because at 35, I was running an angel group, but I'd already had my first exit. I'd done a, a billion-dollar IPO. You know, it was really easy to go into that transition. Well, you know what? I'm just kind of crossed into that 50s. That's sarcasm. I'm a little further along than that. And you know what? It's just time after 15 years of being at the front of the room. Other people should be doing it. There's there's new methodologies. There's new technologies. There's there's millennial investors. And so, you know, I'm I'm later stage Gen X. It's just time to get new faces in front of things that are going on here in Alberta. I firmly believe that. Okay, so... Valhalla, was that spun out of VA Angels? Is yes. that what happened? Okay, so what's, what's the story there? How did that all transpire? Well, again, like VA Angels was supposed to be a platform for angels and entrepreneurs to get together, monthly meetings, you know, four deals, 40 angels in a room, you pitch, gold sheet goes around, investors sign up for your deal, you're now responsible for you know getting those investors into, into your tent kind of thing. So that was the core of it. But Again, there was so much else going on in a formal angel group where investors now meet each other. Now they're meeting outside of the forums. Entrepreneurs need more mentoring. And as we've, we've come along, the ecosystem is so mature now, isn't it? Like you think about the number of accelerators, incubators, startup programs, startup Calgary, events for pitching. A lot of that is ecosystem. Where was that 2002 through 2012? It You know, outside of... Uh, Calgary Tech, you know what Brad Zumwalt was doing. Um, there was there was not a lot of places for the ecosystem to actually connect. Now I would almost contest there's too many, um, but that's it's a better problem to have in a lot of ways. And and the 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 herd will thin itself based on quality and and other things. But we have to still in the middle of that be the group 
or one of the groups where there's only so many places to go get capital once you've learned all your little startup-y things in an accelerator incubator. You still have to go out, get capital. You still have to start a company and you have to you have to build a company. Um, and we, we feel like we're in the middle of it, but we still feel we have a role to play with the accelerators and the incubators and the ecosystem to let an entrepreneur know what it takes to actually raise money properly and what it takes to get a return back to investors, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then the, you know, starting of angel group from the ground up, mm. that's something that I'm curious about because, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a broad and diverse number of groups out in other parts of yep. North America yep. and Western Canada, it's quite limited. Yep. Um, and so you're kind of in that camp of the early, early starters here in Alberta. <laughs> you're allowed so, to call me old and, uh, yeah. and use the pioneer word uh, if you need we, to. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, I'd like to know about what does it take to make that happen? You know, we'd love to see that community grow in Alberta and well, Western Canada in general, you know, wow. wants to start off, uh, that's what you did with Valhalla, right? And okay. So you're the host. So if this stops being a sound bite, you just give me a like, like that. I just gave him the, tell me to stop talking. Sure. Cause there's, there's about three things I almost want to talk about there. And, and first off, I'll, I'll give you something that'll play. Ooh, like something controversial. I think the way we build the formal angel community in Canada is dead wrong. I think um, that for instance, there's only three or four private sector angel groups in the country and remarkably they're all in western canada that is something that is um, unheard of in other parts of the world because you think about it if you get government funding to start an angel group well the government has these metrics they want you to have and so in fact when i started i will admit that i was the perfect consultant i'd done my time in politics so i knew how to speak government I'd built a company. I I could I knew the investor community through being part of the publicly traded IPO process, and I had investors in Supernet. So I was like um, a three-sided coin that, you know, somebody who can speak government, investor, and entrepreneur. Ooh, okay, that's pretty cool. So the government hired me to look at building something called Deal Generator. And at the end of the day, I had to leave at the end because Deal Generator, I said, if you're going to put a board together, the board has to be private sector and no government can sit on that board and you have to have a private sector executive director. And I said, if you do it any other way over my dead body, so they they shot me. And, and I was jettisoned from that. I actually think that that was one of the best things that happened to me in my career was getting out of a government-run financing institution. Like you think about that, there's a whole bunch of words I just said that don't belong together. The, the public sector wants to worry about jobs. They want to worry about entrepreneurship and they want to coddle it in some ways. And we look at some of our government programs that we support, support with Old Kent Road. We know that there's certain companies in Canada that get, they survive too long because the grants and things that are available to them don't force them to become real companies. They just can stay alive because we support them. We want to support that entrepreneurship. The same is true in an angel group. We shouldn't have an angel group put together uh, around government principles. It should be around financing principles. So that was number one. Uh, when I started, there was Mike Boker at Vantech. There was Bob Chawworth Musters at Angel Forum. And there was myself. There was two guys in Halifax that were 
technically private, but they got a quarter million dollars from ACOA. And the rest of it has all been financed, mainly in Ontario and Quebec, by governments. And I think that's the wrong thing in the formal angel group. That leads to my second point, is that the one problem you have in formal angel groups is whether I like it or not, I get B-plus deal flow. And the reason that is, is that if you have access to a family office, if you have access to Garrett Camp, as an example, Calgary guy starts Uber, if you have access to Jack Dorsey, or if you have access to any of the Canadian VCs, you're calling them before you're coming to my angel group. And that means I cannot get the best deal flow to come talk to me because the best deal flow doesn't trust the caliber of the membership inside of an, a formal angel group. So when we think about formal angel structures, they're really good for entrepreneurs that don't have access to investors. They're also really good for investors who don't have access to deal flow. And the pivot for us in Valhalla was exactly that moment is I'm tired of getting B plus deal flow. What do I need for entrepreneurs to call me and say, dude, you want to call me? I'm one of the best deals you're going to see in Canada. I will tell you that led to the third thing that's been really hard. If you chase great deals and returns, that means you have less time for what's in your heart. We were a community development group. We don't have as much time anymore to actually spend time with seed entrepreneurs at a base camp level, teaching them the basics of being better entrepreneurs. So we're all constantly in a struggle at Valhalla to go back to our roots at VA Angels and support startup entrepreneurs on how to become A-plus deals, while at the same time on the other side, chase our corporate finance heart and look after our investors and give them A-plus deal flow return. That's, that's the problem of formal angel groups is you have to separate from government. You have to get great investors who give you A-plus deal flow. But while you're looking after your investors, you have to somehow hold on to your entrepreneurs to be able to help them and be part of the community. It sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> but those are the three big things in Canada we need to tackle in our formal angel group process. Okay. So yeah, I'd love to get into the, your kind of thoughts on public policy later, but I mean, mm -hmm. surely the government has some role to play now. hundred percent. You, you, you have a feeling of what you believe that yeah, is. hundred percent. Um, so we'll, we'll come back, come into that. Um, so leading up to that, uh, next thing I wanted to chat about was the kind of the diversity of deal flow in Alberta and, you know, how has that landscape been, um, you know, you spoke about the earlier days, uh, you know, 2002 to 2016 kind of thing. How has that landscape been then and, and what does it look like now? I'm actually impressed. I think one of the coolest things about being here in Alberta is the, is diversity. So we always are concerned about we don't have diversity. Um, I would contest the opposite is true. I think that once you stop looking at oil and gas and real estate, there's a whole lot of other things in this province that have built us. You know, I I knew Ray and Greg in the early days when they were just a couple guys with a gaming company. And that gaming company has become globally recognized. It's a big freaking deal. And it's still a lot of it's still here in Alberta. So we had we had a gaming place. I remember when 
you know, Mike Sikorsky and Pat Lohr were doing um, the kind of the wisdom of the crowds, not crowdfunding, but it was called crowdsourcing. And Alberta was actually seen as one of the places. I had people flying from the UK asking me to introduce them to Sikorsky and Lohr at iStock Photo and at the time Cambrian House because they were building business models around crowdsourcing. You know, I remember days where we had large companies that people would people would go, hey, you're from Alberta, that company's there, and we would actually wouldn't even remember the name. And you think about what we've done in life sciences, what we're doing in artificial intelligence now with Google hanging around here. Diversity is the story of Alberta. And one of my favorite deals is actually non-tech has been food. I just love some of the, you know, the baby gourmet stories that we're, we're an investor in there. We're investors in innovative trauma care, which is a, a hair clip that stops bleeding in three sec- seconds. It's a, it's a medical tech that we're selling to the U.S. military. We have seen life science deals, med tech deals, food deals, egg deals. Like the diversity is so exciting. I, I just I just love that if you're a deal junkie like me, I've, I've used a different word before, but I'll, I'll use deal junkie in, in public. If you're a deal junkie, you can see everything here. It's really cool. Okay, so so you would say it's improved a lot. Yeah, I don't, it's, I, it's always been good, I, I don't guess. know if it was, I, the quality of the ideas and the quality of the opportunities were always really good. I have to say the one thing I think that in the early days was really poor was actually the quality of our entrepreneurs. We have a lot of big brain people. What we don't have is a lot of execution people. So if we look at the history of companies in Alberta, it's not that they kind of rise and fall. Is I actually look at our own portfolio. It's that they rise and become zombies. They hit like a million dollar revenue ceiling and they never get better. And they kind of lurch along for 10 or 11 years. And I, that's a leadership problem. That's a That's not a... I think we spend too much time on product development and not enough time on on business development. Okay. Do you think there's enough funding available for startups in Alberta at the moment right yeah, now? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I'm I um I if if you know I was a chief of staff, then you already know my political stripe in the, in that time period of the late 90s. And but I'm I'm still disappointed where we are currently in in with the existing changes in tax credits and and changes in shred policy for sure. But I, I also think that um, I wonder in, in jurisdictions where there is not government money, I think entrepreneurs get worried about what they should faster, which is cash flow. I mean, if you're starving to death, I, the one thing you learn to do is hustle and you learn to figure out how to get a check in by next Friday so your rent doesn't get cut. And um, so, so there's a fine balance, I believe this, in in programs that should be available and programs that support more R&D and more thinking about things as opposed to thinking about execution, which I've already said I believe is our largest problem in Alberta is actually finding execution specialists with, with our startups. Okay. Then do you think the accelerator groups and groups like Valhalla can help kind of fix that problem or is that just a bit of a stopgap? Yeah, let me, let me, let me talk out of both sides of my face. Um, I believe there's a time as a startup that you should really enjoy going to summer camp. And what I mean by summer camp is you should go to startup weekends and get your red t-shirt and really engage in ideation and fun and the whole engagement that comes by being part of the startup community. 
that's huge. That's massively important to your time to getting to starting a company. Take your time there. But once you leave the acceleration incubator red t-shirt space and it's and it's day one, you know, it's it is, it's D-Day. You're landing on the beach, the door is open, and there are bullets, and you're about you could die. And you'd better forget the days of the red t-shirt and the accelerator program is how are you going to live for one more day? In base camp, I say as an entrepreneur, you have one job. You have one job. And it's stay alive. You think about Amazon, they they are still on that locked in. How do we stay alive for one more day? How Every single good entrepreneur focuses on, I need money, I need gas in my tank to stay alive. Now, take your time. Enjoy the startup process. You know, if you're living in your parents' basement or you've got enough cash to live and go through that. But on day one, when you land on the beach, Figure it out how to stay alive. They're not going to teach you that in the accelerator programs. Okay. Okay. So there's a role to play and, and maybe not everything is there. Yeah, it's, 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 it is. It's, there's this time to think about things. But once the thinking time is over, like yeah. take your time, take as much time as you need to think. But the day you decide, you know, I'm just going to say it. You can bleep it out. Don't fuck around. Like you, you will die. You will run out of cash. The community will turn its back on you. You yeah. will not raise any more money. You need to figure out how you're going to show the Alberta community you are an execution specialist. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, going back a little bit on the deal flow question, uh, what are the startups that you think um, in Alberta that are not getting talked about enough? You know, I find that a lot of the startups you go to these um, kind of big events startup Calgary and there's some cool startups there and they're being featured, but there's a lot of people that aren't showing their face there and there's a number of reasons why they may not be there. Um, and a lot of them are doing some cool things and maybe as that they haven't got time, even got time there, they're, you know, swimming up a waterfall of client yeah. business or whatever it might be. And I'd like to, you know, if you have anybody that you yeah, find you know, interesting that we can talk about, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm not usually a politician, but I'm going to be a politician on it and I'm not intending to be, I hate, uh, answering that question the way it's asked. I, I like We have to do these top 10 companies because if I was an entrepreneur, I need that award to actually help with fundraising, For et cetera. Sure. But I've, it's interesting. I like There's almost a cycle to startup, startupness, where what you do, sorry about that. Uh, there's a clicking pen, sorry about that. Uh, when you're a startup, sometimes you don't do startup really well. And then you have this aha moment like, geez, we need to get a check. Our customers aren't paying us. How do we do it? Then you have this aha moment. So that that what we call that valley of death stage. You do really well. Um, there's companies that do startup really well. They're out there. They win all the awards. They do, Then they hit this, this wall about they can only collect so much revenue from customers. They don't pivot into a brand new um uh, business model, which doesn't allow them to to go really big. And so they were really cool and we all talked about them. And so that's why I hate piling on is I don't want to give any of those people uh, props because when they when we need them to be mature companies hiring 30 or 50 Albertans, they actually didn't get out of startup. They were too busy getting awards that they didn't actually you know migrate into the third phase. So I find I've had a couple of investments where I wrote the investment off. 
I was done with it. In fact, I've got one right now. Um, I was on the I was on the board. I was part of the corporate team. Um, we raised over three million dollars. This company I'd written off just got in with like AT and T and Verizon, and it, it's been it's eleven years old. And the tech is now being incorporated by massive telecoms. So it, I would never have mentioned this company, you know, six years ago. But now I'm going, holy cow, am I ever excited? I'd love to have had it less than 11 years, um, which is also one of the issues in angel financing. But I'll give you examples like Jobber. You know, Jobber had come to VA Angels at the time, was going through deal screening and pulled out because they found an investor. And then we never heard from Jobber again. And all of a sudden, boom, they took off. Everybody's getting hired in Edmonton uh, by Jobber. Everybody knows them now. But they were super stealth. They never showed up at anything in the early days. Those are the kind of companies, you know, I'm still, you know, here's public policy. Garrett Camp comes out of the UFC. He's doing stumble upon and he decides not to go to any local investors, doesn't come to the formal angel group, but decides to blow a couple grand and get on a plane and go to Silicon Valley. Now, I don't know if he had contacts there. I don't know the story about what happened and how he got to the valley. But he chose not to show that to local investors. That's tough from, you know, our public policy point because that's, you look at his, his career right now, nobody thinks of him as an Albertan. They think of him as the stumble upon guy who came up with Uber, who's still on the board. You know, he's a big freaking deal. And uh, those are the kind of things that there's all those little pockets of stories that I, I love those. So I'm not going to talk about particular companies because it wouldn't yeah, be course. fair to them. Yeah, of course. But I, I think there's a lot of the stories you're talking about exist in this province. It's it's a great, like, it is it is pretty exciting. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing to ponder anyway. Um, uh, how about this? I will give you this. Okay. Here's here's a here's a, a little sound bite. Right now, Calgary is kicking Edmonton's ass in deal flow quality. Uh-oh. Yeah, Uh-oh. there it is. I just got to say it. Um, you know, and as a guy who's, you know, I, I won't wear a red jersey. I'm born and raised Vancouver, uh, high school, university in, in Edmonton. Uh, there's only one jersey I will not wear in my life. And uh, so so to my Edmonton colleagues, uh, it's time to get your act together. We're not <laughs> seeing good deal flow out of, uh, out of the northern city. Okay. Um, to that end... Um what would you like to see happen in Alberta in general with uh, angel groups? You know, would you like to see Valhalla grow? Would you like to see new groups appear? Would you mm-hmm. like to see both? What would you like to see happen, really? So in all of my career, I've been very consistent about this. I do not want Valhalla to be the only uh, formal angel group, and I don't want it to be the only access to capital. It isn't. You know, there's, um, there's again... What's going on at Platform? Uh, there's there's now pockets of, of VCs. There's there's super angels that are getting deal flow. So I don't want to be the only. When I say that Valhalla is the only source of capital, let me be very clear. It's the only source of formal angel capital, which I've already said. If the if the platform is done wrong, you're ba- you're only getting B plus deal flow. I believe every jurisdiction should have six formal groups and lots of informal streams. You could come into Valhalla on one night and you know your your husband or your wife left you the night before, your dog died in the morning, and you come into the group and you suck. Well, that's going to go with you, right? These platforms where you pitch in a kind of a presentation model, 
they can go poorly. The other way it can go poorly is my people suck. Is you walk in and you're on fire and some investor decides that you're the person they're going to take a run at tonight to, you know, to show off their MBA and how cool they are. That can go against you too. And I think that's, that's the problem with the public process, right? Is it's like life you know it's it's tinder somebody swipes left or swipes right on you and so therefore we need you know we need more uh we need we need more diversity on the tinder platform we need more places for for us to basically say no to entrepreneurs or yes but the same on the other side um entrepreneurs need to have entrepreneurs should control the process they should literally be looking for an investor that gets them that's aligned with what's going on in their heart. It's kind of a spiritual thing I always talk about is that, hey, I don't want to sell my company in seven years. And the investor goes, okay, that's cool. I'm good with that. Oh, we have alignment. We should hang out together. It is seriously, to me, that that base about dating. So the more our dating site has on both sides, I think the more healthy the ecosystem. Right. And so let's talk about public policy a little bit as well. Uh, you know, it's kind of a thing I've been interested in just hearing people's feedback on, you know, the recent, uh, not so recent now, I suppose, but changes that were made by mm -hmm. the local government and the impact there and what, you know, if you think they're making the right decisions or if they think those decisions don't matter that much and what role they they have to play in the success of entrepreneurs and startups in Canada. Mm -hmm. That's a great. Okay. So, you know, um, uh, full disclosure, uh, between 2003 and 2009 or seven, 2007, while I was building the angel group out, I also had a contract to run something. It was a business development organization called the Alberta California Venture Channel, so ACVC. And what it was is the government of Alberta and the two cities actually paid us to, to create a channel, a network between entrepreneurs and investors in Alberta and the Valley. And during that time, we came up with an 11-step or 11-page um, uh, document. In, it was the province's document. We, were, we had input in it. But it talked about the, uh, what tax credits would do, um, not just tax credits for entrepreneurs in the shred, but investor tax credits. It talked about uh, what what has now become the Alberta Enterprise Corporation, the, the need for, you know, the Alberta government to act like BCA, BCIC or, or Ontario Pension Fund to have our own uh, pool of capital to stimulate the VC community, to have the mentor coaching network that looked like the C100. These, these were recommendations that were 2003, 2009. Or seven, and then I, I went in uh, to start a VC fund. My point is, is that the government took nine and a half years to get to actually implement those things, and then it wasn't the government of the time that had been there for fifteen years that implemented it. It was the other government that was in there for you know. Uh, I'm not here to talk politics. We don't know if it's a blip, an anomaly, or maybe they'll be back. We just don't know. But it's interesting. Then that that same then we changed governments and then all those things that was talked about for fifteen years got un, un, undone. I find that disappointing for the entrepreneur community. Um, I find it disappointing for the investor community. But quite bluntly, when those tax credits were in place for the investors, they were set up in a, such a way we couldn't use them. So the, it wasn't actually a policy that was stimulating or not stimulating angel investors to invest what was actually happening is you would use your eis tax credit to go talk to family and friends and non-angels retail investors we call them and they would use the tax credit 
and they would go into deals. So it's interesting. Will those family and friends and retail investors that use the tax credit become angel investors? I think the jury's still out because they have to get returns on the deals they did over the last three or four years. Um, and on the other side, we still have the federal program in place. We're only getting a four or five percent kicker on the shred credit. My point is, I I'm, I'm going to stand up and say I'd like to have them. I think though that we might want to sit back and actually look at when we had them how much did they change things here I so you know again I'm probably gonna my my house is gonna get burned to the ground here but but the reality is if we look at it did it make an impact I'm not sure and as you've already heard the libertarian enemy is saying execution 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 I'd like to see more Albertans become competitive without the government telling us how to get competitive. So, but that's a philosophy I had long before. I just think entrepreneurs need to know that you can stay in that safe harbor, the safe haven of R&D and, and the different, uh, different grants you get from IRAP and NRC and the province, and you can test and product market fit and do all those things but at some point you got to leave the safe harbor and, and go out in a storm and um so you know i guess an unseen benefit of losing these credits is that people are going to have to go out in the storm sooner okay so this leads us up to a conversation about old kent road okr yeah. fund which you're running uh and particularly uh relevant is that that fund depends largely on the existence of these shred programs. So, so I believe it's here in Canada yeah. and also over in the UK. We, uh, we've done a couple of international deals, actually not UK yet. Um, we were trying to do that because it made sense with some of my other business interests in the UK. But the US, we actually have done uh, one in the European Union and one in the United States. We're allowed to do that under our, our newest offering memorandum. So we're seeing like things like DARPA, uh, state tax credits, um, European Union has a ton of these type of programs. Did you know Iceland, we were looking at this yesterday, Iceland has $2.2 billion of shred credits available. To figure out what that is worth, every man, woman, and child. Yeah, that's an incentive. Yeah, OECD report, that's where we got that from. Wow. Canada's is $2.5 billion. I don't, I'm not saying $2.5 billion is bad, but holy cow, it's like every man, woman, and dog in Iceland's got access to a shred credit. That's a lot of, wow, that's yeah. a Credit to, credit to uh, person ratio is quite good there. Yeah. So can you talk about the fund? Yeah. Just like kind of go into super simple. How does the OKR fund work? How does it leverage these these um, tax? Yeah. Methods? So so what happened? Um, and it was an aha moment for me, and it's changed the way we think in 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 Valhalla. I bought into the model. I bought into the whole Silicon Valley thing. I'll call it the Jason Calcanis. Go do a deal in Silicon Valley. Put your money in, and you'll make a billion dollars back. Uh, that uh, every angel thinks that that's what happens. You put it, you put your your chips on black seventeen at the roulette wheel, and once every ten times you're going to get Uber. And what we're finding out is it's bullshit. And our returns are reflecting that thesis was great in Silicon Valley. It's great in New York, and it's great in Boston. The reason the thesis works there is that you actually have companies like Google and Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that actually have what we call exit culture. They buy companies for those ridiculous amounts of money. And when you look in Alberta, 
which large corporations have exit culture where they pay 40, 50, $100 million for tech companies. So the aha moment for me was I kept doing angel investing, angel investing, angel investing. And we'd done a deal, uh, shout out to Davis McGregor in Edmonton, uh, uh, mobile, t- uh, mobile data tech. He, he took in our angel money and the rat, he got an exit eight months later. Well, that wasn't good from an accounting point of view. Our, our accountant said, you can't pull the money out. You'll actually, your tax will be higher than your returns. So we had this money sitting around and, and Dr. Jason Neal, my partner at Old Kent Road, was also a, a, at the time VA Angels member. There was four of us VA Angel members. Had a, had a deal in Vancouver where the company had shred credits and they offered to say, we can use that cash and we'll pay you 3% a month for the cash. We lent the company the money. They got the shred credit. They paid us back. They executed on a purchase order with the U.S. military. And eight months later, they got an, 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 uh, um, an exit and they sold and their shareholders are happy. We were ecstatic to be a bridge. And they started telling other companies about this pool of cash. So all of a sudden, we had four companies approach us and say, hey, we heard you did this for this company. Could you guys do it more? So Jason and I started calling friends because we needed more money than was what in our pool. So we brought in five friends. And then we had 20 deals. And then we had 30 investors. And it started to just grow organically as a VA angel special purpose vehicle. Three years ago, four years ago now, we decided to turn it into a real fund. And we've helped over 100 companies. We've got $72 million in under management, which means $72 million have been available to startup companies who are looking for the cash now that if they don't have to wait four months or six months for government, they know how far they can get. And it's just been great to, like, it feels like kind of rocket fuel. You put the money in and all the companies are using it for growth. But guess how we got to $70 million? All the angels that are members of the group realized, hey, wait a minute. I can get 16% my net fees over here by lending money to startups. Oh, wait, when was the last time I got 16% IRR in giving equity to companies? So we're starting to go through a bit of a religious thing about we can still help companies. And now I actually, when an entrepreneur comes to me, it's a better conversation because I don't actually care what you need because we have it. If you want to borrow money, okay, I'll send you over to OKR. If you want to have equity because you're going to be the next Google, great. We'll bring you in and we'll we'll play the Black 17 game. And if you don't know who you are, we can use these convertible notes that act as debt. You might even want to pay interest so you actually secure your, your money. And it can convert to equity if you do become Google. So it's been really an epiphany. We went from 25% of our companies were getting funded. We're now at 33 to 35%. So one-third of the companies... By adding a debt component to what we offer, that's that's phenomenal. Um, so yeah, so I'm super excited as an investor. I've had an aha moment. My returns are way better now because I have a my returns spread across three different platforms. And as an entrepreneur, it's been way more exciting because I, I I don't care anymore. I don't have to push you into some deal structure that doesn't work for you and doesn't work for me. Yeah. Okay. That's great. And um, so, what countries are these? Or is it only? companies in Alberta or Canada or are they well, based? In, in Old Kent Road because we used um, an offering memorandum where it's a syndicated fund now we have to be responsible you know we have to we have to play by the rules of our offering memorandum so we only have been participating in con- countries 
where we're covered in the OM. But I think I, I might be wrong. You might be asking more about our global Valhalla program where we've invested in, in 17 countries so far. And we have been using debt. Um, a good friend of our uh, forum is Mark Francis with, uh, with CSE. He's, he's been a phenomenal uh, angel, but he's a public markets guy. Uh, Mark Francis got us into a couple of deals in South Sudan, where our Calgary engineers from Sudan had come to UFC, worked here in the oil patch, and wanted desperately to go home into one of the, you know, if you look at where South Sudan is listed on the economic company, countries in the world, I think they're down in the 130s. It's really bad. There's always civil war. These guys went to say, we need more engineers and doctors and professionals staying in South Sudan. They started a company there. We... We supported that company and they they wanted to borrow money. So we lent them the money instead of taking equity and they've been paying us quarterly for four and a half years. It's phenomenal. There are over 70 employees in, in, um, in South Sudan and Juba is the capital. Now, some people would call that impact investing. We hate that term. We believe that entrepreneurs, it does not matter where your geography is. We're here to give you a chance. We gave those guys a chance and they've done nothing but deliver the goods. And it's been one of our best investments. I don't believe it's impact investing, I, I, but we're pretty damn proud of ourselves for being one of the only angel investors in South Sudan. But we've done, we've invested in 17 countries now. Valhalla has a number of funds. We have a LATAM specific fund where we're bringing Canadians now, Latin, Latin America. That's what I was listening. thinking. All right. Yeah. If you think about, oh, Latin, all right. I, I went lingo, didn't I? <laughs> if you think about it, how many Canadians have two passports? And so a lot of our funds, our Southeast Asia fund, our LATAM fund, Latin America fund, our angel funds is actually taking some of that cultural diversity that we have in Canada and giving people an opportunity to actually invest back in the communities that they, their parents or their grandparents came from. Some people, like myself, last name Thompson, uh, it's either Welsh, Scottish, or English. I just love it because I love emerging market investments. The returns are better. There's, um, I can do debt. I can use convertible notes and get better returns. But I'm aiming for an $8 million or $10 million exit price. I'm not aiming for a $100 million exit price. So we've changed the whole formula on its head, and that's why we love the emerging markets. Okay. Well, thanks for that. And if people want to actually get in, oh, invested in the OKR fund, yes. how is it accessible? Well, I, I would uh, encourage you to get hold of uh, myself. It's rthompson at valhallaprivatecap.com. Uh, and and uh, I'll get you involved with our OKR side. I, I'm going to be careful about what I'm allowed to promote over podcasts. Otherwise, three people from with nylon jackets saying ASC show up here while we're talking. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so last couple things I want to yeah. cover with you is, uh, you know, off, off topic and kind of away from the investment angel and entrepreneur scene in Alberta, uh, you're in, involved in professional sporting in some, some yes. sense, ah. um, not as a player, but as oh. an owner. Yeah. Um, so you're, you own the Peterborough or you're a part owner of the Peterborough United FC out of the UK. Um, so how did you get, how did you get involved in that? Well, I, I'm, uh, I, I think it starts because I was actually not the best hockey player in the world. Uh, so I actually 
grew up playing soccer of all things and I actually got to a redshirt freshman at UBC so I got to play in a bunch of uh, um, uh, what do you call them? Uh, I'd call them scrimmage games, but they were a little more than that. But it was great. I I, I enjoyed university sports, like just to be part of it. I, I wasn't ever the starter in the first year, but it, um, I always loved soccer. And uh, um, I also love business. So I've been following English soccer for a long time. And I was reading about the ladder system. You can actually, um, I would love this in the NHL because imagine Ottawa and Detroit this year. They do not deserve their NHL franchise, right? And what they do in England is if you're the bottom two teams in the NHL, you drop into the league below. So imagine this year, Ottawa and Detroit, the Red Wings drop into the AHL. That comes with a whole lot of baggage. You lose TV rights, you lose fans, the whole works. But the cool part is that the top two teams in the AHL would then go up, you know, the Manitoba Moose or whoever would go up to the NHL. And this ladder system makes English sports really interesting. And I was looking at how did these teams in the 8th and ninth and 10th division um, live. And some of them were crowdfunding and some of them were, were trying to go public. And I was really fascinated by how they were using almost technology uh, investment tools to try to keep their football clubs alive. And Jason and I started talking about it. Jason's my partner in Old Kent Road. Jason's actually English and grew up as a Southampton fan. He was actually on what's called the terraces. I'm not going to explain terraces if you're not a football person. So for us, part of the partnership that's been the most fun is the two of us could talk football uh, uh, and away we'd go. But then we got into the business of it, started thinking about it. And an opportunity came up where, where a contact I had met over LinkedIn said, hey, you should talk to this guy. He's looking for partners and he owns a football team. Well, the two of us, like our, you know, it's like the lights went on. We've got to meet our partner. His name's Dara McAnthony. He's an Irishman who's been in, uh, involved in the, in the team for almost 12 years. He's, he's a great football brain. Um, there was another great football brain at the club called Barry Fry, which meant we didn't have to go in and actually take over anything. We literally got to go in and support what they were already doing and go for the ride. And I got to tell you, it's been so much fun. I haven't lost my shirt, which I thought was a guaranteed uh, part of what was going to happen. That's sports ownership, Yeah, right? sports ownership. But again, it's it's. I've been asked if you know I would take on a Canadian Soccer League thing. I think the Southerns have done a great job with uh, uh, Calvary, Calvary FC because they could put it into their existing infrastructure around Spruce Meadows. It made sense within the family community they've got but there's other clubs in canada i don't know how they're going to make it like you've got to you better you're injecting almost five million cash into a team that has two thousand fans show up and you got to fly the team to halifax you know 32 people and go to play in front of two thousand fans like right now the english system i get in low you know you can buy low and it can actually go up so it can actually it can be treated as an investment which has been really cool that's Interesting. Yeah. And maybe somewhat unusual. I don't I don't know. Oh, it's totally I unusual. I think ownership varies yeah, yeah, yeah. from country to country. But Well, and 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 um, deal to deal. Like, I mean, I think right now, um, I look at the NFL and the NBA, and I always used to laugh at Mark Cuban, right? Mark Cuban is like, wow, I can lose $20 million a year, but I own the Dallas Mavericks? Where do I sign? I used to laugh at that, right? Well, now you look at an NBA franchise, 
The trick is lose all the op costs for 10 years. If he sells it now, he'll make all that 20 million loss a year back in spades because I think they're selling for a billion and a half right now. So you just have to find your own it's, you know, investment model. It doesn't matter where you are, what, what industry you're in. Yep. Okay, and then uh, in that same vein, I'm hearing murmurs of uh, potentially a revival of a baseball team. And we had Calgary, we had the Calgary Cannons, we lost them. We had the Vipers, we lost them. And there's talk of something new, perhaps. Can you talk about that? I'm, that's funny. You've heard about that already. I, I, I actually thought it was still a whisper. So, um, so yeah, the embarrassing part about being the Canadian kid, I've already admitted to you that soccer is my favorite sport. My second favorite sport, uh, which also goes to being old, is baseball. And my third favorite is American football. So you can tell where hockey has fallen, right? <laughs> and so when somebody said to me, um, I'm just going to call him Brad. I'm not going to give a last name. So let's just say... Uh, there's there is a group trying to put a consortium together that would look at that seriously and you are absolutely right the rumor is out i have said sign me up i'm i'm willing to be one of the first 10 people involved in that even if there's only four of us um i think there's a way to do it again that there's a model that makes sense um because i'm not going to be an owner of something just to for a vanity play i think that's that's not what i'm interested but i literally believe there's room for one more baseball team in the Calgary area. How's that? Okay, cool. And so that's going to be in Calgary or? Well, I it depends. I mean, there's a couple ways to do this, right? Like a double A, triple A, single A ball has been kind of out of Canada for a while. You know, Nolan Ryan and some of the other baseball guys aggregated some of the teams back into the into the into the states. I don't know what you know. I think we've we're kind of kicking the can to see would there be any interest in that. But I actually think what the, the what the dogs have done in Okotoks is phenomenal. Um, you know, Edmonton's going great guns too. Like there's enough there in that actually level that I think. And, and you look at the caliber of Canadian baseball players, too. Boy, are we ever off the beaten path on tech. <laughs> I, I, I think even at that level, if if the dogs were okay at having a second team in the neighborhood, you might have to put it in Cochrane or somewhere like that, um, you know, at that level as well. Or if the current league got a feeder to something bigger, both of those interest me. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, just to bring, just to bring it back in, if, if it does materialize and it works out well, it's another part of the Calgary business community or Alberta business community, you know, helping businesses out. And so it's good. We, we would like to see that, see it come back. So, you know what I think, uh, as a guy who's lived in, uh, both Edmonton and Calgary, I just love the fact that, you know, what we have in the cities that make them so livable, that continue to put them on the map of most livable cities in the, in the world is because of, the events we can go to, the mountains, the food, the culture, the festivals in, in Edmonton, you know, the, the outdoors in Calgary. Like, uh, yeah, I'm totally a big fan of building my community. Cool. Well, Randy, thanks a lot for making the time today. Um, you were quite generous, so appreciate that. Uh, anything else you want to chat about before we before we end it? No, uh, I appreciate the time. I know that uh, I warned you. Never met a microphone I didn't like, and uh, <laughs> I will cut most of it out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for editing. Yeah, um, yeah no, I uh, really, uh, I, I just you know, probably want to just leave it with a sense of like, um, we are we are really committed to this community. We love this community. We are entrepreneurs who have PTSD, and we're investors who've also try to figure out how to make money while supporting our community. Uh, we're going to be here for a long time and we're happy to be part of the fabric here. Cool. 
That's great. Thanks so much, Randy. Cheers. Okay. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is sponsored by Capturing Legacies, because everyone has a story, and Capturing Legacies is here to help you tell it. Visit CapturingLegacies.com for more information. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>